It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Brooklyn Bluesman, Emmanuel Casablanca, whose debut album is called Blood on My Hands. It's released on the Kings County Blues label, and Emmanuel will have an album release show at the Sand Dollar Lounge on Spring Mountain in Las Vegas this Thursday, August 25th, and another one at the Sand Dollar Downtown Las Vegas this Friday, August 26th. For everything about Emmanuel, go to emmanuelcasablanca.com, and you can follow him on Instagram at it's getting strange. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Ira, for having me. Absolutely. You have an interesting backstory, which we're going to get into. So we're going to cover a lot of territory. We're going to talk about your background. We're going to talk about your blues background, because you are multi-talented. You play a lot of different instruments. And then talk about your upcoming album launch as well. So let's start out by the fact that we're both Brooklyn guys, okay? Very cool. Where are you from, Ira? Uh, Coney Island. So. All right. But left when I was three, so okay, maybe I'm not there anymore, but that's okay. There's always, you know, when you're, when you're born in Brooklyn, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is, right? Yeah. So you started studying, as I understand it, at age four, and your mom encouraged you. She was a music teacher, right? Yes, yes. My mom was a music teacher. She was also a choir director at our church, and um, she was just very adamant about, uh, you know, I have three siblings, two older sisters and a younger brother. And one of the things, I mean, she she pretty much was flexible in regards to letting us do whatever we wanted to do, but we needed to learn to play an instrument. We had to have some sort of musical uh, aspect about our, uh, some sort of musical recreation going on in our lives. So um, it was just very important. And at the age of four is when uh, she got me a violin and started giving me violins. I started getting, she had a teacher that she uh, took me to. I took group violin lessons when I was four. And rumor has it, I don't want to bring up anything that's untrue, <clears throat> but rumor has it, you were not thrilled with the violin and something happened to the violin because you obviously yeah. went on to bigger, and I won't say better necessarily instruments because violinists will get upset with me, but you went on to other instruments. Yeah, you know, I um, at, at that time, I was four, I just wanted to go outside and play, I remember. And so I remember having to be inside and she made me practice for an hour a day. And I really hated that it, that hour. Again, at four, my, my attention span is extremely short. So, uh, <laughs> well, that hour, you, Are you okay for the next half hour? <laughs> I'm fine for the okay. next half hour. Right. At that time, though, that hour felt like days. So <laughs> I remember just being in there one day and I figured, hey, if I break the bow and I can't play it, then I don't ever have to take violin again. Right. Um, uh, the, it didn't occur to me that you can just buy a new bow. <laughs> so you were half right. Your your idea for the destruction of the instrument was... Before was you, I, I do remember breaking the bow. Yeah, I, I do remember breaking the bow. And, um, and of course, my mother knew I did it intentionally. And uh, it, it, it bought me some time. But uh, uh, she didn't want to... She didn't want to force me to do anything specifically that I didn't want to do. So she did, you know, from there, I actually ended up playing the trumpet and then the trombone and a couple other instruments. Uh, it, it, it's it, the, the irony of all of it is like the violin is probably my favorite instrument right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm decent at it. But I was like, I, years later, after breaking that bow, 
um, I started teaching myself as my mother, you know, I, you know, I kind of wished that I had uh, paid attention during those classes uh, and, and actually I, I took it for granted back then. But again, I, I, it is my very favorite instrument right now. I love a lot of, to listen to a lot of avant-garde music like uh, Jan Tiersen, Max Richter and a lot of those guys. And it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's very unfortunate because I, I, I'm not as good as I, I probably could have been. Did your mother bring it up occasionally as you grew up about the issue? No, no, no. She never actually rubbed it in my face. Her, her I, you know, and as a mother, I feel like her, she felt her job was to introduce me to these things and I would either go for them or I wouldn't. And, and, and sometimes I, I, I get that. Sometimes children, I, and I don't know, I don't have kids right now that I'm aware of, at least. Um, <laughs> Did she, rub, she didn't rub it in your face, but she rubbed resin in your face, right? For <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, her job was to introduce me to those instruments or to introduce me to things. And from there, you know, once a child hits a certain age, they're going to kind of do, they're going to go their own direction um but forcing me to do it wasn't something you know i guess she felt hey he broke the violin he doesn't want to do it <laughs> she wants me to have some sort of musical capacity in my life so she's introducing me to other instruments and things of that nature but again it was never a forced thing if i kind of straight you know I, I did it for a certain period of time if i didn't like it move on no i understood i was debating because you when i mentioned earlier you were multi-talented i was debating whether to have you on to promote your album and your appearance in Las Vegas, or to have you on for financial advice. I had that choice because you graduated from Morehouse College with a business degree, and you actually were on Wall Street for a while, and you realized at some point that, you know, I'd rather kind of go back to music instead of looking at ledgers. Sure. Absolutely. 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 I was, uh, uh, Morehouse, um, when I when I went into Morehouse, the the, the popular major there, uh, the the business school Morehouse has been known over the last few decades for the business school. Uh, a lot of a uh, lot of big banks, a lot of uh, financial institutions invest in Morehouse College. So uh, if you go to Morehouse School of Business, chances are you know probably nine out of ten people who came to our college, you know, we we had interviews on campus. So when you graduated, you had a job waiting for you. I know a lot of uh, a lot of kids at a lot of schools are maybe not be as fortunate, but like at Morehouse, I was definitely fortunate enough to, you know, we were interviewing every week uh, with different companies uh, for six-figure jobs, you know, like uh, some 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 very large uh, financial ins- financial institutions, and so um, a lot of them would come on campus, they interview you, and it, it was it was kind of a you know Morehouse was known for Morehouse School of Business, uh, so when I went into Morehouse because it seemed popular, I just knew I wanted to make a lot of money. Um, I didn't, at the time, it didn't occur to me about uh, happiness and all that other stuff. Um, but I, uh, I, 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 I interviewed uh, with um, a couple of companies, had a few offers when I graduated, took a job, and, uh, uh, you know, I stayed for a year for the term of uh, a year until I got my end of the year bonus. Uh, if I didn't get, if I didn't stay, I would have had to pay back my signing bonus or what have you. But um yeah, stayed till the, the the end of that term, and then I um, did, did buy guys like that very first year. It just wasn't for me like that. But you you were strategically stuff. thinking about it because you waited till the end of the year. You didn't just up sure. Your head. Yeah. I, I knew I didn't want to pay back that signing bonus. Yes, you know, that I, was I financially responsible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I already, you know, 
Like I, I, I just wanted to, uh, hey, look, let me do my job, stay for the term of the year. The very day my contract was up was the day that I left. I think you should have changed the name of your album from Blood on My Hands to Money on My Hands. <laughs> See, it reflect your past. That would have probably uh, been all right. I mean, that was just a small, I worked in a, I worked in a few industries uh, from that time to the time I started doing music professionally. Uh, so there was, uh, there, 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 were, there were a lot of, you know, that, that to me, that's just a, a page in a chapter of my life, you know? When did you make the decision to commit to full-time music making? You know, I was, um, uh, I was actually on vacation. I had a job, uh, this is like mid twenties, had a job, went on vacation. I remember I was in Puerto Rico and I just felt like this very, like, I, I don't know. It was like an anvil. It was a, it was a deep heaviness that I felt like on me. And I, I felt like I'd stayed longer. I got comfortable at this job. It was a job that paid well. I didn't, but of course I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't, you know, and it was kind of, I had going back and forth in my mind, like, do I stick with something I don't like to, for the money or do I move on to something I do like? And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, it's, you know, life is about taking risks, especially when you're seeking some sort of success. Um, and uh, I, I believe that to a certain extent, uh, but I'm more of a calculated risk taker and I've, believe more so it's kind of like a, an investment portfolio you know you know you don't want to be stupid enough just to take a bunch of risks you need to limit your risks you know um and and, and that's a that's a true way to uh essentially solidify some sort of success and so with that um i was just trying to you know based financially how much money i was making and what other things i could do based off the skill set that i had how i could bring in money and do music and also how many shows do i need to play a week to pay my bills. You know, if a gig pays, if I'm getting $150 a night to put in my pocket, or let's say it like this, if, if a venue's paying me like four or 500 bucks, I got a three-piece band, a bassist and a drummer. Let me pay them out a hundred bucks each, which means I'm putting $200 in my pocket. Uh, how many venues in the tri-state area that I can get to on my Metro card for $2.50 or $2.75 will pay me this um, because you got to factor in that travel cost as well. If it's a venue in central Connecticut or something like that, now I got to get in the car and it's going to cost me gas money. It's going to cost me a rental fee, et cetera. So uh, kind of using it, I guess that, you know, it's funny uh, because uh, when it comes to the finance, you know, all these are all the things that I was learning in school and things that I was learning, whatever, on how to manage those funds. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're very, atypical of most musicians and singers in that you have analyzed pretty much as you said, you know, what's this going to cost me? What do I have to put out? What am I going to earn? You know, and, and, and realistically in this area that I live in until I break out even further. And that it's just fascinating. You're, you're analyzing it as you're, spe as you're telling us the story. I see both sides of you, the business guy and the musician. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I've had to implement in it because I wasn't, again, I know, trust me, I got a lot of friends who are, I got a friend of mine, she's, she's, she's starring in the new uh, Black Panther movie. Uh, she's got her, she got a big break um, in the new Marvel Black Panther, what is it, the Black Panther 2 or whatever. And I remember, you know, she was, she was taking many risks. She, she asked me for, uh, <laughs> remember, well, anyway. 
Um, she was taking many risks. <laughs> you thought about that. <laughs> that I wasn't courageous enough to take. You know, I got right. a couple of friends uh, with, with TV shows out now, and uh, um, a couple of musician friends who are who are who are who are, who are well on their way and, and have done exceedingly well in their careers. And I, I look at them some, you know, very very enviously at times that they were able to just take the leap that they took. In the back of my mind, like I need to have food to eat. I need to pay my rent. I'm, I'm not sleeping in, in, in the back of a van. I get it. That just wasn't, I couldn't downgrade to that kind of lifestyle um, after having the previous lifestyle that I had. And I understand that that's a huge risk for some people to take and, and, and some people do take it. For me, it was, again, how many gigs can I play per week making XYZ amount without traveling? And then gigs that I can travel for. And then it, when I do travel, where am I going to say, is, is, is the gig getting a venue? If not, if, I mean, are they going to get me um, uh, lodging? If not, then, then where would I stay? How would I eat? Where would I sleep? How much does all this stuff cost? Throw all that in a spreadsheet and kind of factor it out and, and, and build upon that. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of thinking and analyzation. But once you get the, the, um, the skeleton for it, it's kind of like any other, uh, it's kind of like anything else that you would do financially. When you have the skeleton for it, then it, um, you just drop it in your spreadsheet and then it makes sense. You don't have to do any of the heavy lifting any longer. It's not a matter of courage, I think, as you are cautious. And in a way, that's a very mature thing to be because you're looking at the realities of life on the road, bills, living a lifestyle that you're used to. And still being creative. So you're, as you say, you're factoring all this in. You're putting it on the Emanuel spreadsheet, uh, which you have shared with me. And I'm looking at the figures and I'm very impressed. And so, no, I'm only kidding. I never saw your spreadsheet. But if you want to send it to me, I'll take a look. So you, you go out and you start performing. And you're involved in a lot of genres of music. But there was a guy you met who pointed you in one direction and the guy's name was wood tell us a little a bit about him oh ronnie wood yeah rolling stones uh it was i was actually working uh that job that i uh previously mentioned and i went to um the ronnie wood gallery opened i believe it was on mercer street in soho and i was working in tribeca over on church street so it was about a 10 block walk over and um my lunch break i had literally my uh my supervisor at the time, he was a huge Rolling Stones fan. So he would like bring the newspaper, the New York Post over. Hey, you need to, you know, go check this out on your lunch or whatever. Walk over to the gallery. Uh, so um, I was, uh, and I was also, I'm also a big art fan. I did do a lot of painting and stuff myself. And so I wanted to see, wanted to see uh, this Ronnie Wood gallery. So it was really some, it was some good stuff. And the lady who was working there, she was telling me that a few new pieces, I think they had just opened, if not that day, maybe just a handful of days before. But uh, yeah, the lady who was working the front, she was telling me a couple new pieces would be coming in throughout the week or what have you. And this was a Monday morning. And um, so I went uh, pretty much every day. I just wanted to see the new works that would come in. And then one day he was there. Uh, I was told that the, the Rolling Stones were in town to film SNL. So yeah, he, there was a flyer, Bernard Fowler flyer. That he that was sitting on the desk in the front. And he's like, you should come check this out. And so I did. It was that was on a Wednesday. So I went on the Thursday, 
yeah, I went on Thursday. I got there really super early. I was over eager and excited to to go check this out. And I kind of went in. They were sound checking still. I was there so early. And uh, I met a great deal of people, some who I've worked with to this day. Um, is Eric Gales. He's on the, uh, he was playing guitar. Um, he's on the record. Um, uh, I worked and recorded something years ago. It was never released uh, with Doug Wimbish uh, from Living Color, uh, bassist from Living Color. Uh, there was one guy specifically who uh, who I met. He um, and I, it's based out of LA, but he played for a lot of East Coast performers. And so whenever he was in town, uh, occasionally we'd get together and jam. And then he um, it just mentioned one um, one time he asked me if I wanted to do one gig. And that was kind of like, all right, he kind of was the uh, ripple effect to me playing with a good number of people and really starting to get out there. One other guy I want to mention, then I want to talk about your album, and that is the gentleman who you met sitting on the stoop in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, Wood. Um, oh, something like this. The oh, other God. Wood. That's the Wood I originally referenced. Oh, Wood, Wood, Wood. <laughs> my apologies. That's okay. Um, wood, yeah, this was, uh, so when I first started, um, so I, I, I pretty much taught myself like a bunch of chords and stuff on the guitar and just wanted to do like some singer songwriter acoustic stuff just for enjoyment. I had no uh, real ambitions of becoming a professional musician when I picked up the guitar. Yeah, I was in bed and I was uh, walking down Classen Avenue and there's a guy, um, older carpenter, he used to sit out on his stoop playing the guitar. He had his um, electric guitar and his amp would be in the hallway of his building and he'd plug it up and just blast it really loud and just play blues all the time. And I didn't care what genre of music was going on. I just wanted to play the guitar and be good at it. So I asked him if he could, you know, teach me some stuff or whatever. He's just like, come by here. I'm out here every day playing. So I went by and played with him. And yeah, he just started. I, I did that every day for almost a year. And he was just opening my mind to so many things. But that's happened numerous times. And it, it's great, you know, uh, Socrates says a wise man always, uh, a wise man knows he knows nothing, you know, and from that I've always translated is that that is just being a student to whatever, always, like always be a student to your craft. And from, from that, I've, I've always just tried to be open and any, you know, there's so many, there's multiple people. Wood was probably the very first person who kind of like opened my mind to different things on the guitar, different paths to take, different ways to approach certain things, solos, et cetera. But then I've met numerous people also through over the years who have just with a word or just with the style of playing, you know, Big Ed Sullivan was one of those guys from um, the Monday Night Blues Jam at, uh, at the Red Lion in the West Village. I used to go um, when they had that. And Big Ed, he was one of those guys. I remember the first time I saw them open up that blues jam and this guy was doing so many crazy things on the guitar that were so simple, but I never thought about them. And just by like watching him and talking to him, yeah, yeah it just blew my mind, kind of took me to another, uh, took me to another layer. Like it just completely changed my approach to, uh, you know, playing a riff or playing a solo or what have you. Well, now you've got your first full length album, Blood on My Hands, and I'm going to play the title track in a minute, but give us a sense of, it's not a concept album, even though there's a lot of blood in it. Uh, it's, <laughs> but, so just tell us a little bit about the album. We'll play the title track and then come back. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, 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 I mentioned this, uh, uh, to a, to a reporter before, um, that there are a lot of, 
this is a blues, blues rock record. And a lot of the songs, uh, you, you can hear different influences, Chicago blues, Detroit blues, uh, just contemporary blues rock or what have you. Uh, but there's also some rock and roll on here and the album kind of starts that way. And I did that intentionally. I knew it would be off-putting for some people. But my reason for doing that, uh, because if you listen, I would say not eight and a half, nine out of the 10, out of 10 songs are, are just basic one for five blues or what have you. But uh, there, there are a few tracks on there that are more rock and roll or Americana. And I started it out that way because I didn't want to get put in a box immediately. And I find that a lot with, you know, once, especially, you know, the, boy, uh, the blues world is, uh, is, is very much so a boys club. And I, uh, and I and I love the blues world very much. That's my genre of choice. But I, as you mentioned before, um, there are various genres of music that I played, and I uh, I really want to uh, I wanted to get that out because I have a strong and very long catalog of music. Again, most of those songs are blues songs, and I could have just made this one very long blues record. But uh, yeah, I, you know, it's there's people who gonna who are gonna love it, and there's people who aren't. And, you know, or people who are just going to be put off. So it is what it is. If you love it, you love it. If you don't, at this stage, it's already recorded. <laughs> so Exactly. Well, let's hear the title track.
wants me to die Prosecution wants the needle But baby, I wanna fry They gave me life And yes, I understand A prisoner of the system I've got blood on my hands That was Blood on My Hands, a title track from the full-length album. When you finish the album and you know you're going to debut it, take it out on the road, were you having a sense of accomplishment about it, that it's something you wanted to do and you did it the way you wanted to do it? Uh, Very much so, very much so, because I know a former label that I was with, uh, I... I released an EP. So, so here's a very interesting thing. Uh, most of these songs, how many songs are on the record? 16. So about, about 10 or 11 of these songs are very new. The other four, five, six are, are like, um, are, I wrote those like in 2014, 2015. And I didn't have a place for them yet. And respectfully, they all weren't as developed as they are now. But I sent like, rough recordings to the previous label because I was planning on releasing my uh, debut LP with that label. Um, but the head of the label is just like, this isn't our sound. This isn't what we want. And so, look, I, I get it. You know, uh, um, this day in the industry, uh, labels are very genre specific. And so, I was, you know, it's cool. But at the end of the day, it's me, you know, and I wanted to release a piece of me. And so, yes, there was definitely a sense of accomplishment in being able to record what I wanted to record, how I wanted to record it, and release it how I'd like to release it. Before I let you go, what do you see as your future in the Blues Boys Club? Yeah, no, I um, uh, I, I see myself fitting in. I want to I want to contribute to whatever world that I'm in or whatever that I'm involved in. And you know, there's things that I'm working on. I, I do a, a bit of acting and things like that, um, and I can't really speak on it right now. But it's just been cast in a film. And I'm going to, uh, and also a short, and I a short that I co-wrote, and so I want to, um, I want to bring, you know, I want to bring blues and the blues music to, uh, I want to work with the blues world and, and bring it to uh, the contemporary forefront where it as it, where it used to be. You know, I want it to be the the popular genre that it once was, and not a genre that we're just trying to keep alive. You know what I mean? You know, I want it to be you know, alive and well, which it is. Uh, I just want it to be, I want it to be out there on the forefront and I don't want it to be thought as as some secondary niche genre of music. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Brooklyn Bluesman, Emmanuel Casablanca, whose debut album is called Blood on My Hands, released on the Kings County Blues label. Emmanuel will have an album release show at the Sand Dollar Lounge on Spring Mountain here in Las Vegas this Thursday. August 25th, and another one at the Sand Dollar Downtown Las Vegas this Friday, August 26th. For everything about Emmanuel, go to EmanuelCasablanca.com and you can follow him on Instagram. 
at It's Getting Strange. Emmanuel, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Ira. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Hey.